Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Madi Bolaños in San Francisco. A relentless parade of atmospheric rivers. That's how the National Weather Service describes the latest series of storms heading into California. In a news conference yesterday, Governor Gavin Newsom said 12 people have already died as a result of the storms over the last 10 days. And the worst may not be over. 12 people have lost their lives to these floods, 12 people. More than have lost their lives, civilians, that is, to wildfires in the last two years. These floods are deadly and have now turned to be more deadly than even the wildfires here in the state of California. Common sense, uh, just be cautious over the course of the next week, again, particularly the next day or two. The National Weather Service has issued a flood watch for a large swath of northern and central California, with 6 to 12 inches of rain expected through Wednesday in the already saturated Sacramento area foothills. In southern California, scattered rain fell during the weekend, while stormy conditions are expected to return today, with the potential for up to 8 inches of rain in foothill areas. Evacuation warnings are in place for about 13,000 people in Sonoma County, where the Russian River is expected to overflow its banks. A new investigation from CalMatters found there are nearly 100 politicians across California sitting on $35 million in leftover campaign funds. CalMatters' Ben Christopher explains why and what's happening to all this money. California law allows former politicians to use old campaign cash to pay down debts or pay legal and consulting fees. They can contribute the money to other candidates or to political parties. They can give it to charity. And with a little financial rearranging, they can fund a future campaign for themselves. So in some cases, you have former politicians who raised this money two decades ago, still sitting on hundreds of thousands or even millions of dollars. They're just slowly spending it down or waiting for their moment to run again. But while it might seem odd that former politicians can still draw on their old campaign war chests, things used to be way less regulated. In the 1970s, former politicians would sometimes use these funds to buy cars or houses or to go on fancy vacations. And those days are over. That's CalMatters' Ben Christopher. You can read the whole story at calmatters.org. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. 
the land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. Governor Gavin Newsom is setting aside $100 million to support Native American tribes in buying back their ancestral lands. It's part of his 30 by 30 pledge to preserve one-third of state lands and coastal waters by the year 2030. But once a tribe gets their land back, how do they restore and preserve it? KQED's Izzy Bloom reports from Humboldt County, where an indigenous tribe bought back 48 acres of land earlier this year. The 48 acres of coastal property is rich with wetlands, meadows, and spruce forest. If you look at it on a map, it's an island of green surrounded by residential development. The Wiat tribe, an indigenous tribe that's lived in the Humboldt Bay region of Northern California for thousands of years, identified this site in 2015 as a high priority to reclaim, in part because of its cultural importance. The land is referred to as Merwasherwak, the name of a historic Wiat village site on the property. And it's the first forest land to be returned to the tribe. So I think it just represents you know, a place where tribal citizens can finally feel comfortable practicing these cultural traditions like berry picking or mushroom hunting you know, where they don't have to feel like they're just on public land or trespassing or, yeah, a place to be that that they can call their own. (laughs) That's Adam Cantor, the natural resources director for the Wiat tribe. He took me on a hike through the forested property. Watch out, this is really slick. Pointing out Sitka spruce trees with egret and heron rookeries and hazelnut branches used by the tribe for basketry. Little uh, redwood violets that are... To get choked out by the, ivy. the return of Merwasherwak is the first time the state of California has funded native land back to address climate change. In July, the State Ocean Protection Council awarded the Wiat tribe $1.2 million through its Proposition 1 grant program, so the tribe could buy the parcel from a private landowner. When Governor Gavin Newsom rolled out his proposal to fund native land back as part of his 30 by 30 climate pledge, he used this project as a poster child for the initiative. But $1 million of the grant was used just to purchase the land, leaving less than a quarter million dollars to actually restore and maintain it. Here's Adam Cantor again. There's a lot of, you know, attention towards land return right now, but, you know, if land return also isn't tied with funding for management, that kind of almost burdens and puts the the tribes 
in a rough spot. And so the tribe is really hoping to be able to use 30 by 30 funds to assist with the management of this property. The tribe is also partnering with Cal Poly Humboldt, which is helping with restoration planning, improving water quality, and removing invasive species. I think higher education institutions should feel a great sense of responsibility to assisting tribes with meeting whatever goals that they have for the lands and the peoples and the projects and the things that they're developing. Because higher education institutions occupy stolen, dispossessed Indigenous lands. Kutcher Risling Baldy is the department chair and associate professor of Native American Studies at Cal Poly Humboldt. She's also the co-director of the university's partnership with the Wiat tribe. And as part of that partnership, the tribe and university are also involving students in the restoration work, including indigenous students in STEM and other students in environmental science and Native American studies. When we're able to return land, restore land, and reconnect to land, what you see are brighter futures, uh, climate-resilient futures that really matter for the whole world. Risling Baldy hopes that tribes and higher education institutions will continue building fruitful relationships that center indigenous knowledge and practices. For The California Report, I'm Izzy Bloom. And that's The California Report for Monday, January 9th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Maddie Bolaños. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Support for the California Report comes from Hint. Fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors like watermelon, pineapple, and blackberry. No sweeteners, no calories, in stores or delivered from drinkhint.com. Stanford Healthcare, alerting listeners to the critical blood shortage in the area. Now is the time to donate blood and make a difference. StanfordBloodCenter.org and Eric and Wendy Schmidt whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Futures, which bets early on exceptional people making the world better, on the web at schmidtfutures.com. Hi there, I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.